hello, my friends, I'm on the road, but I still managed to record a monologue about an interesting back and forth on Twitter, including Elon Musk talking about racism, including anti-white racism. What a controversial idea. I'll show you the video that sparked the conversation and the back and forth. But first, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's the video version of this show. And I want you to get the video version because it all started with a one-minute TV ad. And I'd like you to see that. So go to rebelnewsplus.com. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, who exactly are the people who are saying things like Hitler was right? It's November 16th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. Oh, hi, everybody. I'm in Calgary. I'm wearing my rebel gear. Don't mind me not wearing my jacket. I'm, I'm having some fun outside. It's a little bit chilly in the snow, but that's Calgary for you. Sunny and chilly. I'm standing outside the Grey Eagle Event Center. It's actually on an Indian reserve abutting Calgary, and it's where Ben Shapiro is coming to give a talk tonight. And there's going to be a lot of Canadians coming in from all across the province. Uh, in fact, even from other provinces to hear Ben Shapiro. It's sort of exciting to have him come to Canada to give a speech because he's a bit of a star in conservative circles in the United States. Tucker Carlson is coming in the new year. So all the stars in the conservative firmament. And, uh, of course, conservative media like Rebel News will be here. And I understand other independent media like True North, uh, Western Standard will be here too. So it's sort of fun, sort of a gathering. Of course, we have our own Rebel News live event in this city on Saturday. And there are still some tickets left, so be sure to sign up at rebelnewslive.com. But I want to do a show today, even though I'm traveling and I'm not in the studio. I saw a video yesterday that got some mixed reaction, and I watched it, and I've actually got a lot to say about it. I saw it on Twitter and it was introduced um, with the following preface. Um, to the cowards hiding behind the anonymity of the internet and posting, Hitler was right. You got something you want to say? Why don't you say it to our faces? And that was written by a guy named Charles Weber, who seems like a really nice guy. And obviously, um, he's against anti-Semitism and against Nazism. Uh, so I was interested in, in what he had to say and the video he referred to. Uh, let me play it for you now. It's not very long. It's only about a minute and a half. Take a look at this video that he was referring to. I saw what you've been posting. Hitler was right. I didn't teach you that. Hide behind your screen, spewing all this hatred and ugliness. You got something you want to say? Get out of the truck and say it to their faces.
Does anything jump out at you there? At the end, it said the phrase Hitler was right was posted 70,000 times last year. I'm going to disagree with that. It was probably posted 70,000 times a day this year, ever since the October 7th massacre, when Hamas terrorists broke into Israel and basically reenacted uh, the worst of the Nazi Holocaust. It was actually the worst day for Jewish uh, death and murder since the Holocaust itself, let alone the rape and the hostages and the Stone Age level of barbarism. Um, that was like a starter pistol for this eruption of violent anti-Semitism around the world. And it really was in a shocking pogrom style. I think one of the most terrifying things I've seen since October 7th was in the Russian province of Dagestan, where people heard there was a Jew landing on a plane and they swarmed the airport, broke on onto the tarmac and went Jew hunting. Do you remember this video from Dagestan a few weeks ago? Well, there's been huge mobs like that around the world, not quite as violent as that, but Certainly their language has been menacing. Uh, hundreds of thousands have marched in London, England. Tens of thousands have marched um, in Canada and in U.S. cities. We sent our reporter Alexa Lavoie to London about a week ago. And, uh, I mean, here's one fella that she put a microphone to. And he, refer he he's a brown-skinned Muslim man. And Hitler didn't like non-Aryan races, but apparently he thought Hitler was right. Take a listen to this man praise Hitler. If the West feels so sorry for the Israeli Zionists, why don't they give a place in Germany? Why don't they go to Hitler's back garden and make an occupation there? Then they will know what kind of people these are. Why every so many hundred years, the Zionists get slaughtered? Because Hitler knew how to deal with these people. They probably made a program so they can create a, a state of Israel in the expense of Palestinian Muslims' blood. You know, a lot of the language uh, that was used by those protesters was similar, even if they didn't use Hitler's name. You're seeing swastikas turn up in numbers heretofore unprecedented. The entire uh, Canadian media freaked out when one agent provocateur briefly flashed a swastika flag at the trucker convoy uh, a year and a half ago, and no one could identify him. It was clearly a plant. The whole country was up in arms. I see swastikas at these uh, pro-Hamas rallies every single day. And the so-called anti-hate and diversity, equity, and inclusion police have nothing to say about it. Have you seen a single human rights commissioner in this country. There's 14 of them, uh, uh, 14 different human rights commissions, each one of them with, which have millions of dollars in budget and dozens of staff. Have you seen a single one of them condemn the river of hate? I was thinking about Laith Maroof, 
that um, uh, anti-hate consultant hired by Justin Trudeau and Ahmed Hassan and Pablo Rodriguez. And um, he was finally fired for writing some of the most atrocious anti-Jew hatred around. Here's some of his recent tweets. He talks about Jew-saders, which is a made-up word about the crusades. Just crazy, crazy stuff. I put it to you that the anti-racism industry is actually the home of some of the worst racism in the world. Anyways, back to that one-minute video that I showed you a moment ago. You can probably see where I'm going with this. That's not who's going to these pogrom uh, marches. That's not who's saying uh, Hitler was right. It's not middle-class white guys with their dads in a $60,000 pickup truck, father, son. Hang it, it, that's not who it is. I'm not saying there are zero middle-class white guys with their dads uh, and the kid says something dumb online like uh, Hitler was. I'm not saying there's zero of them. I'm just saying I haven't seen a single one, and I've been looking at these protests either directly from inside them or our reporters. That's not who they are. Uh, and I think that that's part of the problem is we're looking with a magnifying glass for there's such a demand for Nazis on the right. And we have absolutely missed the fact that the racism, the anti-Semitism, and frankly, anti-white racism is on the left. And so let me tell you... Um, what happened to that tweet? Because I thought that that tweet, I mean, the guy who wrote it, he, he was sort of saying, yeah, man, come say that to my face. Actually, the trouble is these marchers in London and in Canada, the trouble is they are saying it to Jews' faces. They're attacking Jews, punching Jews. Um, a Jew was killed at a uh, pro-Israel. He was waving a, a flag in Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago. And a pro-Hamas protester hit him. He fell down and died. And now that pro-Hamas protester has been charged with uh, manslaughter. Um, every single day in Canada, there are more assaults or shoot-ups. Um, so I, I think that tough talk, come say that to my face, that, that's actually happening. I think that a shy white guy, like in that, in that uh, TV ad, might not actually have the courage or the hatred to go and say it to a Jew's face. Maybe he is an internet warrior, but the trouble is there are far too many anti-Semitic haters who are throwing Molotov cocktails at synagogues, who are shooting things, who are punching people. And let me read to you a response um, by just some, I don't even know who it is on, on Twitter, who wrote this. Okay, Jewish communities have been pushing the exact kind of dialectical hatred against whites that they claim to want people to stop using against them. I'm deeply disinterested in giving the tiniest SHIT now about Western Jewish populations coming to the disturbing realization that those hordes of minorities that support flooding their country don't exactly like them too much. You want truth said to your face? There it is. So that commentator, who I've, I've never seen on Twitter before, I don't know who it is, is saying... The Jewish lobby groups, and that ad was paid for and circulated by a Jewish lobby group called StopJewishHate.org. It is true that many of the open borders multiculturalism advocates have been Jews and have been Jewish organizations, including in Canada. Now, that obviously doesn't mean every Jew. And one of the things I don't like about the tweet that I just read to you is that it's sort of a collective guilt, collective punishment. I'm a Jew who has always called for less immigration, 
I, I call for zero illegal immigration and less legal immigration. And the less legal immigration should be vetted for a number of aspects, including cultural assimilability. Do people assimilate and integrate? Do they agree with our Western liberal values of pluralism, nonviolent solutions to problems, uh, separation of mosque and state? I've been saying these things for 20, 25 years, uh, including when I was prosecuted by the Alberta Human Rights Commission for publishing the Danish cartoons of Mohammed. So I don't agree with the broad brush comment that all Jews are guilty of bringing in this Jewish hate. That's the Nazi concept of Selbsthass. The Jews brought it on themselves. I don't subscribe to that, but there is a truth to it that suddenly all these liberals, and obviously Jewish liberals, but liberals too, who are shocked, just shocked, that when they went to bat, bat for open borders immigration with no cultural fit, suddenly they're being devoured or threatened by it. So I think that this commentator I just read and is, you know, I, I honestly don't know his, his real name. He, um, he, he goes by the artist formerly known as Eric. But what, the reason I point to his reaction is because Elon Musk replied to him and said, you have said the actual truth. Well, that set the cat amongst the pigeons. And immediately people said, uh-huh, Elon Musk, you're anti-Semitic. We proved it. No wonder you're allowing so much hate speech on Twitter. No, no, that's not true. I think that, uh, again, it's the people who take out a microscope and a magnifying glass to look for tiny traces of hate on the right who can't see the, the billboard-sized hate on the left. I should tell you, and I've told you this before, that I follow, I'm, I have an account both on Twitter and on TikTok, and I get almost no anti-Semitism on Twitter, whether it's the algorithms or it's just not the place where anti-Semites hang out. Whereas on TikTok, it is a Niagara Falls of not just garden variety anti-Semitism, but deep old style Nazism, as well as a nonstop uh, Palestinian Hamas propaganda. TikTok, in fact, there's a new TikTok trend, I don't know if you saw this, of getting young people to, to take Osama bin Laden's side of the story because, because according to the woke way of thinking, the world is divided into oppressors and the oppressed. And the oppressed can do anything they want, including murder, torture, rape, hostage taking, and flying planes into buildings. TikTok is where the hate is but they went after Elon Musk because, of course, they want to censor the Internet. And that's another thing I've noticed in recent weeks is there's no call to arrest actual terrorism supporters in the streets. That would require police arresting people who are visible minorities in the main. And that looks racist. I think one of the reasons why the British police are so scared of arresting crazy haters on the street is not just because they'd be outnumbered and overwhelmed with physical force, but because they would be called racist. And to this day, being called racist is the absolute scariest thing in the world for a liberal or a politician or a journalist. Let me read you one more reaction to this video and this tweets. Elon Musk then expanded on that saying, the ADL, that's the Anti-Defamation League, which claims to concern itself with anti-Semitism, but almost never finds racism 
on the left. It really hunts conservatives. And we know that uh, historically in the fact that their leader used to work in Barack Obama's White House. Anyways, this is what Elon Musk has to say about the ADL. He says the ADL unjustly attacks the majority of the West, despite the majority of the West supporting the Jewish people in Israel. This is because they cannot, by their own tenets, criticize the minority groups who are their primary threat. It is not right and needs to stop. And then Elon Musk engaged in banter with ordinary Twitter users. He said, you write that this does not extend to all Jewish communities, but it is also not just limited to ADL. And at the risk of being repetitive, I am deeply offended by ADL's messaging and any other groups who push de facto anti-white racism or anti-Asian racism or racism of any kind. I'm sick of it. Stop now. You know, it's amazing to go back and forth uh, with Elon Musk. He's even reacted to a number of tweets that Rebel News has done. But I think that's the kind of conversation that we need to have. And it's amazing to me that since Elon Musk bought Twitter, you can have that kind of conversation. They would be immediately censored elsewhere. Of course, Elon Musk is being demonized as anti-Semitic by the establishment for that. Instead of, because that's easier for them to do, it's safer for them to do than to actually criticize the hundreds of thousands of marchers around the world who are visible minorities, who are Muslim minorities, who are screaming for the death of Jews. And I say that here in Canada. Obviously, this is not a comment on race. There are people from every race and, frankly, every country who are great Canadians. One of my favorite Canadians I've ever met is my friend Raheel Raza, the chair of Rebel News, who came from Pakistan, the late Tarek Fada, who also from Pakistan. They came here because they wanted to be free. They didn't want to live in that country, which is unfree. But to be able to say or to make an ad like that stop anti-Jewish hate, stop Jewish hate ad, where the demon is a young conservative white male in a pickup truck is simply laughable. Now, in fairness, that ad was made before the October 7th Hamas attack, but that doesn't buy them a lot of latitude because the vast majority of anti-Semitic hate in the world is not from the right. It's not even, um, I mean, there's, it's not just Islamic countries where anti-Semitism is endemic, it's also on campuses on the left. We've seen so many people, I mentioned Leith Maroof earlier, who are in the anti-racism industry who have joined with the condemnation of Jews in Israel. Anyways, that's my report from out front of the Gray Eagle Event Center. I didn't have all my notes in front of me quite as much because I'm traveling and normally I type out my monologue loaded into a teleprompter so I can see my points in real time. I'm just on the street today and I'm wearing my Rebel sweatshirt hoodie. I hope you don't mind. I did record an interview yesterday when I was in the studio that we're going to play now. I want to thank you for your support for Rebel News. We're here to see what Ben Shapiro has to say. It's sort of fun to have a big American conservative come to our country. I look forward to seeing what he has to say about Justin Trudeau. I can't think of any two men who are more different than Ben Shapiro and Justin Trudeau. I'm sure he'll talk about that tonight. So I'll say goodbye to you now. I'll leave you with the interview I did uh, yesterday, and then I'll come back for quick final words.
Alberta has for many decades been a laboratory for new ideas in Canada. It was Ralph Klein's fiscal responsibility that inspired Mike Harris's common sense revolution. Just for one example, a lot of ideas are tested out in Alberta, including forming a series of new political parties. No wonder that's where the Reform Party started, but it goes back much earlier than that. Social Credit, the NDP even, or the CCF. Well, there's a new party that's been in government. Well, I guess Jason Kenney was the first to uh, cross the finish line. The UCP, the United Conservative Party, and their leader, Danielle Smith, is in her own way an ideas person. She's uh, a bit of a thought experiment person. And I think that comes uh, not just from her academic history, but she was a talk show host where she would bandy things about. Well, now it's time as premier that she puts her ideas into practice. And how will those ideas, and in her case, libertarian ideas, manifest themselves in the biggest bureaucracy in the province? I'm talking, of course, about the Alberta Health Services healthcare monstrosity. Every single province in Canada has that Kafka-esque bureaucracy. Can she fix it, reform it, make it work? Joining us now via Skype from Edmonton is our friend Lauren Gunch, a senior columnist for the Edmonton Sun. His latest column is called Alberta Healthcare Overhaul Plan Inspires at Best Qualified Optimism. Lauren, great to see you again. I, um, yep. I've known Danielle Smith. In fact, I call her Danielle because I've known her since we were in college together. Yep. I've known Premier Smith, let me be more respectful, for really 30 years, um, does she have the ability to take her libertarian Fraser Institute free market ideas that I know she has in her heart and implement them in real life against nurses' unions and hospital bureaucracies that hate her and hate reform? Well, I don't see any evidence of that in the announcement that was made last week about uh, a shakeup at Alberta Health Services. Uh, as far as I can see, all they have done is changed the boxes on the org chart and some of the lines that connect the boxes, but they have left the same bureaucrats in the same positions, doing the same jobs, just with different titles of the organizations for which they do it for. Hmm. And so I, I, I remain a skeptic. This is a two-year process. There was too much of an announcement made at the beginning and not enough waiting to the end. They should have waited till they'd had consultations with nurses and doctors and, and with people in the regions of the province uh, to determine what it was that needed to be shaken up. But they came out last week with this brand new org chart that has four boxes where there used to be one box. And they're so proud of the fact that there are four boxes now and not one box. And that's going to switch it all over. But if you look closely at the new org chart, on, instead of an overarching box called the Alberta Health Services that was looking out for everything in the province, hospitals, extended care, uh, home care, all of the different types of, of, of health treatments that were available, medical testing, et cetera, et cetera. Now there are four boxes, but there's an underarching bureaucracy that's supposed to ensure consistency among the four new boxes. So Jeez. really, it, 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 to me, it, I'm, I'm unimpressed by it. Yeah. I really am. You know, it's so hard to manage such a big 
thing. It it really is a centrally planned economy. Healthcare is uh, the, the largest sure. program expense. It's a double-digit share of the economy. Of course, it is brutally difficult to manage it. It reminds me of a short essay written by a French economist and philosopher called Frederick Bastiat. And I haven't read it in a while, but it was basically he said, the city of Paris, how can people go to sleep at night without being terrified that there won't be bread the next morning? He says, how could, how can all the bakeries know how much bread to order? How can all the restaurants, who's in charge of delivering it? How do we set the prices appropriately? What kinds of, like he just, he, he talks about an extremely complex system that works spontaneously because everyone in the system is looking out for themselves. Yeah. And they, in this yeah. restaurant, they know what the demand is like on Sundays. And this bakery knows they have to open early because well, of the holiday. And more importantly than that, there's there's an incentive for them to guess correctly. Right. If they guess wrong, they will lose profit, right. either because they'll end up with too much bread or too few customers because they run out of bread early. And, so that, that's the beauty of the price mechanism, is that you don't have to have it centrally planned. There doesn't have to be a bureaucrat judge. It reminds reminds me of, of P.J. O'Rourke's assessment of why the Soviet Union fell. He said people got tired of waiting in line for size nine Bulgarian yeah. shoes. Yeah. And, and you know, that, that this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with people waiting in line for size nine Bulgarian shoes. The only reason the healthcare system in any province works and in Alberta as well are the people who are involved in it are able to surmount. Yeah. The, the incredible grind of the bureaucracy. And let me just close the loop on that Bastiat thing because he basically two ideas emerged from that. One is spontaneous order, which is hard for us to understand. That was his point. Oh my God, you're going to bed. Aren't you worried? We're all going to starve. No, spontaneous order came. And then he had a flip side idea, planned chaos. Like imagine, yeah. and, and his point was there was no single person smart enough to run the bread of Paris. Correct. Because you don't know all the information. You don't know. There's a million things to know. And and so I think of Danielle Smith, who's smart. and But no one is smart enough. You can't have enough boxes in the org chart. There is no it's thing correct. smart. I mean, would you nationalize the restaurants? That's even more important than, than doctors because we have to eat every day. I would worry more going to bed at night if the restaurants were nationalized, right. that I would wake up hungry. Right. Then I worry now when they're all private. And so hey. can Danielle Smith bring some freedom? I mean, I've known her for 30 years. I know she believes in libertarianism. She was an intern at the Fraser Institute the year after I was. So I know she knows this stuff. She does. I think Inside there's a problem. Go ahead. Inside and out, she knows this stuff. Absolutely. I, I think the problem, Lauren, is that Alberta has such a big surplus these days it's politically easier just to slosh a bunch of money around. I mean, I, I, let me quote from your article, which this is the line that scared me the most in your column. The column's called Alberta Healthcare Overhaul Plan Inspires at Best Qualified Optimism. Uh, it's in the Edmonton Sun. Here's what scared me when you wrote this, Lauren. I am surprised but encouraged by the number of people and organizations, such as the Alberta Medical Association and Alberta Association of Nurses, who've expressed qualified support the, uh, the UCP healthcare reforms. And I thought, you know, if the teachers union is endorsing Danielle Smith, which I don't know if they would ever do, if the public said, that is terrifying to me because that's not patience. That's people in the system saying, we love you, Danielle Smith. You're not the terrifying free 
market monster that Rachel Notley warned us about. You're sloshing around billions of dollars. That scares me, what you wrote there. The other thing I said in that column is that this reminds me more of a list of New Year's resolutions. Yeah. You know, I... Yeah. I should lose a little weight. I should get in shape. I'd maybe cut down on drinking a little bit. And by about the 15th of January, well, we know where most of those end yeah. up. This says, for instance, we should have 24-7 access to urgent care everywhere in the province. Well, that's a lovely idea, but there is nothing in any happen. of the documents they've put out so far that says, how are you going to get a doctor in Manning, Alberta, which is up north of Peace River, when you can't get one now, I mean, it's lovely to say you're going to have 24-7 care, but you need to have probably two doctors if you're going to have 24-7 care, and you don't want to wear out one of them with being on call yeah. every day, all day long. So, you know, where are the solutions for that? Where they, they said in their throne speech the week before this came out that they expect Alberta's population will double by 2050, it would be at 10 million people, will be bigger than, than BC, will be bigger than Quebec. The only province that would be bigger than Alberta would be Ontario. That's lovely, but are you gonna build a lot of hospitals in the next 25 years? Are you gonna double the admissions or triple the admissions at the medical schools and the nursing schools? There, there is nothing in any of this yeah. except these bureaucrats who are all working under AHS, the one big box. Yeah. Will now be doing the same jobs in this box, yeah. and this box, and this box, yeah. and this box. I, I, I fail to understand what any of this will do. Now, there is a lot of consultation coming up. If they sit down and they actually listen to frontline workers, they may get some suggestions that will be helpful. But it's the same bureaucrats who are running the consultations yeah. who've been running AHS, and they have a vested interest yeah. in staying in power. Yeah. Well, I, I know that the only answer, I know in my bones and I know from my own experiences with the healthcare system, it has to be patient-centric, just like schools have to be student-centric. And so if you wanted to reform schools, you're not going to talk to teachers, teachers, unions, or administrators. You're going to talk to parents and, and the kids. And uh, I think it's the same with healthcare. And I think the only answer is to bravely liberalize and allow free market healthcare, have a safety net for those who can't afford it, and allow private capital. The one thing the private sector are good at is capital allocation. And yeah. they will they will know how to provide the bread to every bakery and restaurant in Paris more than even a smart premier like Danielle Smith. I tell you, your article has made me nervous. Um, I think <laughs> I think it's a missed opportunity. But um, that's politics for you. Last word to you, Lauren. Uh, other than healthcare, how is Danielle Smith doing? She had a massive party conference. Oh, I think what yes. four thousand yes. people or something were there. Can you give us one minute on that? Well, I, you know, it was it was encouraging to see that many people there. She does have a little bit of a problem in that I think she wanted to go a little more centrist, and the the body of people at about three thousand to the four thousand people wanted her to stay right or veer even further to the right. I think that's all workable. I, I mean, I think a lot of the coverage nationally, even even provincially, was out to lunch because they don't understand that most parents, for instance would like to know if their child goes to school and wants to be known by a different name and yeah. different pronoun. That's yeah. simply parental rights. You and yeah. I talked about yeah. this earlier. So I don't think it was as radical as it was made out to be. Yeah. 
but she does need to focus on things. For instance, she is having a fight right now with the feds over carbon tax. Right. That's going to get her far more support yeah. than having a fight with the feds over abolish or getting rid of uh, CPP for Albertans and starting up an Alberta pension plan, which makes perfect economic sense. Yeah. It's just not a political fight that's going to win her a lot of support. Well, it's very exciting. I think she is an innovator. It's, I, I love watching Scott Moe, too, by the way, of Saskatchewan, who I, I think is underrated and, and yes. underpraised. Mm -hmm. And he's a, he's like uh, the tortoise and the hare. He's not yeah. glamorous, but oh. he just gets it right time after time. And I think he embodies the spirit of that yes. province in a way. Absolutely. He is. Uh, you know, and when, when Brad Wall left and the Saskatchewan party elected Scott Moe to replace him, I thought, who in heaven's name have yeah. they picked? Yeah. But every time he speaks, everything he says, everything he does is, I think, pitch perfect for yeah. Saskatchewan. Yeah. And, and, and that's why his approval ratings are similar to what Ralph's used to be yeah. in early years of Ralph's uh, government in Alberta. Yeah, yeah. You know, the word, if I had to sum up Saskatchewan in one word, it would be neighborly neighborly. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you would choose. And I just look at Scott Moe and I think that's the guy you'd want as a neighbor, common sense, honest, yep. hardworking, lend you a lawnmower, know how to fix it kind of thing. Right, and, exactly. uh, yeah. and, and he's not a, he's not radical. I mean, he's considered radical when you compare him against say Justin Trudeau, but he, he is radically in tune with his province and God bless Saskatchewan. So all I have to say, Lauren, great to see you again. Thanks for sharing see your you. time and your views with us. And we'll keep in touch. You bet. All right, there you have it, Lauren Gunter, senior columnist with the Edmonton Sun. Stay with us. More ahead. Well, that's our show for today. On behalf of rebels everywhere across Canada, including here in Calgary, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom. Freedom.